0: Let's keep reading our passage today Um, in the Old Testament. Before that, I would like to read just what happens before that in Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together together and had all things in common. They were selling possessions and belongings and then distributing the proceeds to all, to all as they were in need. And now to the Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy. You're going to hear the word tithe or tithes a couple of times in this passage. It's a word that the vast majority of scholars believe means a tenth. So it's talking about a tenth of the overall income that you receive from your labors or from good fortune. But it's probably not the tithe that you may have been taught in church before. There are actually two annual tithes in, um, in Israel. There was another tithe, there, there's another tithe, a third tithe that's every three years, but I don't have time for all that. The first tithe was the 10% of what was received by the Levites, the priests, the church, if you will. For the worship of God's people, the overall provision of that worship throughout Israel. The second tithe is sometimes called uh, the second tithe or a feast tithe. And that's what Moses is describing in this passage. Listen up because it's both amazing and challenging. Deuteronomy 14. You shall tithe the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe, your grain, your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so you're not able to carry all that stuff with you, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen, or sheep, or wine, or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat before the Lord your God, and rejoice, you and your household. And don't forget the Levites. That's Georgia's translation of the last bit. So we're in the middle of the community sermon series, and these next two sermons, I I want them to be a little weird. I'm going to ask you to question your experience of what normal Christian life is. I want us to learn from those who have gone before us, who followed our triune God into ways that we don't really even think or dream about. There, uh, you might say it's a little bit like when the prophet Jeremiah says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And it's going to take a suspension of your belief that this stuff is impossible, but I want it to give, a, give you a vision of a community life that is possible in the Father and the Son and the Spirit as it is active in our life together. In particular, we're going to talk about feasting, a community that feasts on the shared bounty of our gracious God. Now, in bringing these passages to you, I'm not actually um, trying to pry into your bank accounts or your spending habits, but if the word does it, let it do it. But I really want to invite you to the world of our spiritual ancestors, the believers who lived in community, responding to the grace of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I hope I don't need to remind you that the waters we swim in for the last few centuries, and especially the last two centuries in our Western world, have been overrun by individualism. We don't even know what it's it's like to not think about that first or be that way first. But it's not always the way that God's people have been. Look at the passage in Acts. It's a vision of a feasting community. Every day, they went to church. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people, and evangelistic strategy, the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Every day, meeting, eating, praising, enjoying, and multiplying as a church, holding all in common they sold their possessions and distributed the proceeds to all as, as any had need. I just want you to imagine a church like that. Most of us imagine that and we're thinking, that's pretty culty. That's what they thought too about the Christians. I'm not asking you to turn Redeemer into a commune. Though the history of the church has incredible Christian communes that are important. I'm just a realist. And I don't think it's the ideal, like the ideal for all people at all times. But I do want us to, I want you to free your mind and heart to wonder that the encounter with the resurrected son in the case of the New Testament and the encounter with the Red Sea splitting father in the Old Testament What did it do to transform a ragtag group of people into those who feasted on the bounty of God even when the bounty was small? Y'all, in the Old Testament passages, these are freed slaves. In the New Testament passage, it's a motley crew of mostly poor folks who spoke different languages and were oppressed by Rome. That is who he's calling to this kind of activity. God has taken over their legitimate instincts for survival and preservation, and infused it with feasting on God's bounty. Even if it was a small bounty, because feasting is never about how much you have. And God's grace took over the illegitimate instincts of the selfish and the greedy and infused it with a generosity so that all could feast. Remember, last summer was about a year ago, you sent a bunch of us to Spain. To serve children, uh, the children of hundreds of cross cultural workers. I got to meet up with some old friends, Phil and Shanna Davis, who work in the Czech Republic. By the way, it's now called Chechia. I'm I'm struggling with that part. That was a joke. No, not a funny one. Thanks. We had a meal together. They told, now, so this is, we were meeting in May, in the beginning of June. And remember, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is mid-February. They told the story of how many Ukrainian refugees were pouring into Prague where they live. And since Czechia is a, a former communist country, they had the social structures that were incredibly helpful for the refugees. The government provided a small stipend in order to acclimate their folks, the folks that were coming in. And just in case you want to know about the genius of God, the fact that an a atheistic state was able to provide a space and where a Christian ministry could do incredibly good things for people. It's incredible. People beleaguered, a community flinged uh, from war. So here's what happened. Within the days of this massive flux of immigrants, Phil and Shanna's church launched into an Acts 2 reenactment program. It started like this. The Ukrainians would, would band together and mingle and have kind of potluck with the ration, ration money that they received as a community. And you've got to remember, there's 95% women and children full of frailty and fear and having to leave and where are their, their husbands, their brothers, this, this is, uh, their fathers. But they're sharing the bounty that they had, because feasting is never about how much you have, but that you take what you have and feast. That's when my friend's church decided to act, to join the evening with more food and more comfort. Now, mind you, 80% of Ukrainians uh, hold to one of the ancient creeds. The the, the church saw their family. They were a family need, complete strangers, but also family. And even if they weren't 82% Christian, this church would have done the same thing. Shanna and other members jumped in into action by, by late February. Literally days after the invasion, when people showed up, this is another cool part of the story that shana and Phil went came from our church in Charlotte, and, and another family who went to Prague with them, back in 2005, didn't go as cross-cultural workers. They were business people, and they just wanted to go be part of a church plant in Prague. Love it. Well, they had uh, had over time um, bought hostels, and they offered free rooms. In their hostels, to all these folks, only taking the little, um, little bit that came from the government, not charging anything more. And then came the lasagna. Each week, church members would bake pans and pans and pans of lasagna in their own homes, and then they would bring it to where the refugees were staying, adding to the bounty of what they had. Now, I want you to—I mean. My friend went to Prague in 2005, started with an English speaking Bible study. In 2007, the church was particularized or became a church. Then they started a bilingual Czech English church about 10 years after that. And the whole goal was to have a Czech speaking, indigenously led church. And they were right on the cusp of that. And then COVID, and then the invasion. But God revealed himself as they reveled in lasagna and fellowship together. They feasted on the bounty of God, which they had provided. Amid the the devastation, God made a table for them. We're going to transition into the Old Testament passage in a bit, but what I want you to realize in this part of that story is one fact. I want to give you two quotes and a challenge. Here's the fact. Czechia is a former communist country. It used to at one point be called the Soviet something Czech Republic I think, 1948 to 1989. It was a Soviet satellite. Think about this, the Czechs were more naturally inclined to the Russians than the Ukrainians. Two quotes, meaningful worship And meaningful meals are critical to any attempts at renewal. One doesn't work well without the other. And I love this part. Never trust a Christian fellowship where Christians regularly worship together but don't want to eat together. And where they eat together but neglect worship. And one that gets at the point that these would be normal enemies. We do not live alone. We are members of one body. We are responsible for each other. And I tell you that the time will soon come when, if men will not learn that lesson, then it will be taught in fire and blood and anguish. The challenge we must reimagine our tables, our guests, and our feasting in light of the bounty of God's grace, however meager or however lavish both in our personal lives and us as a church body. We must plan and prepare feasts from God's bounty, even amid our frailty and poverty, and especially amid our abundance and wealth. We must make room at our tables, not just for our friends and family, but our would-be enemies as well. Now let's dig into the Old Testament passage about the second tithe or the feast tithe it's about planning a feast and the purpose of that planning of a feast so it's a tithe get your income in your head take 10% just drop a zero I was an English major I learned that one do the math that's nuts especially because you've already done that once to the church It's insanity in our day, but even more insane in theirs, that you would use 10% of your income to participate in seven feast days. Seriously. God asked freed slaves to give a portion or to apportion their wealth toward an experience of living out community together with God before God. Only a heart liberated by God's grace and trust in his power can even think that thought. Only God can have Cliffy offended that someone would think his parents would be mad that he shared. So the question is simply this, can we let this sink in? Can we plan our household incomes, our budgets, and as a church, to enter into these types of feasts. Look, I am not trying to make the 10% feast tithe tithe a rule. I don't think the Bible's teaching that. But that principle and practice should capture us. All the way into our calendars, all the way into our bank accounts. But hear me when I say you must, we must plan the feast according to the purposes of the feast, or it's just a party. And the purposes are twofold according to the Deuteronomy passage. It is one, fear of the Lord, and two, feasting before the Lord. The fear of the Lord sounds a little strange there. Y'all eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your flock that you may learn The fear of your God, fear of the Lord, your God, always. The the fear of the Lord in this context is just beautiful. It's not dread. It's trust and reverence, awe, reliance. And only trust, awe, and reliance can handle such a command. This is how they learn to fear, revere the Lord. It's too much money. Because it's too much grace. It's too much. And that is the point. The purpose of feasting is to be in awe of God's provision and power and mercy and grace, his bounty to us. Living in this both requires fear of the Lord, but it also forms us in fear of the Lord. The feasting tithe shapes Israel's reliance upon the power, provision, and grace of God. Which brings us to the other pur- purpose, which is super important too. The feast is before the Lord. I mean, culturally speaking, I, I read this and I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that. But I'm reading the Bible. Listen to this. Spend 10% of your income, the money, for whatever you desire. Whatever you desire oxen, sheep, or wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. Those are not my words. Pastorally, would be my first way to speak to this issue. But it is our Lord's words. And you shall eat before the Lord your God. This is extravagant. It's ridiculous. It's nearly irresponsible. Unless, unless God wants you to enjoy Him by you, by, him, by you enjoying what he has given you. Either in our most meager states or in our most lavish bounties, you are supposed to choose your favorite beverage, buy your favorite food, but it's supposed to be in picnic form because it's for others as well. It's for sharing with the community. Always make enough to share the end of that passage says, and you shall not neglect the Levite who's within your towns. That's the pastors, by the way. So you buy your best strong drink, but you never drink it alone. It's for sharing. Feasting is never huddled into our own little family unit. When it says household there, neither the Old Testament or the New Testament knows anything about a uh, three-bedroom, two-bath, 2.1 kid, White picket fence house. You're talking about five, six generations, plus all the people who worked on uh, worked with you, servants and otherwise. Feasting in ancient Israel was much more Merlefest than garden party. We had a little Merle fest. We're having a little Merlefest Sunday anyway. Eugene Peterson writes: Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it's perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from the community, it goes to, the, goes to seed in the form of fantasies. No gift, no, no, no grace, no provision can develop and remain healthy apart from the community. But most importantly, it is about eating before the Lord. There is no feast by ourselves. But the feasting is not for ourselves either. Yes, we benefit from it but we're not the object of the feast. You choose your favorite things because God wants you to enjoy them and then participate or partake of them before him in honor of the Lord. All this extravagance is based on the extravagant grace, power, and provision of God. There is only one honored guest in any of the seven feasts. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you've been at Redeemer very long, You know, for the last three or four summers or three summers, we've been trying to do these Wednesday gatherings, June 14th, by the way. And it's it's, it's trying to lean into this reality that being together and eating together, enjoying one another before the Lord is what we're trying to do. It's expensive. It ain't 10% of our budget. But it's expensive, and that's okay. It is right and good to value it that way. And then every year for probably eight years now, we've had the feasts, what we call it. We have a band or two, bring loads of uh, food and drink. Um, uh, it's the weekend after uh, Labor Day. We have jump jumps, bouncy houses, yummy desserts. It's just fun and enjoyment. All so that we would eat before the Lord our God and rejoice. You need to hear me, though, that that neither the the tithe in Israel or the amazing bread breaking in Acts or Redeemer's feeble attempts to embrace the principles of feasting, none of it is self-generative, it's responsive, because none of it is ultimately about us, it is about how God has been so gracious to us. It's all a response to His grace, His power, His mercy, His bounty. And for our spiritual ancestors, it was reveling in the grace of God that would free them and forgive them. and in Acts in particular, it' was about reveling in the grace of God that Jesus had risen from the dead, all to bring us to His table, that He took on a death that we deserved so that we would bask in His provision and His mercy. God's unmerited mercy, His unimaginable welcome. That's what creates the new people who feast in the glory of his power, provision, and promise. Even amid the ragtag war and the war-torn, the islands of misfit toys that most churches are, that's what it is. And that's really good news. My only application is to go for it, envision, plan, take your time, figure it out, talk to people. Let somebody look at your uh, uh, help you with your finances and things like that. Make room in your calendar to participate in feasting with one another, and with strangers and with would-be enemies. Back to Prague. For the first little bit, it was every single night the lasagna team would show up. Not just the lasagna team, but family members and others playing ping-pong and cards with other kids that don't know where their mom or dad or brother, or their dad or brother is. They'd meet at the hostels. They'd hang out. It eventually got bigger, and they moved it to once a week at the church. The lasagna just kept coming. That church who owns the hostels, they eventually gave away over 6,000 free nights to 2,000 refugees the welcome of God. Now I'll read to you from an email. i was check in on how that story kept going. And Phil writes this to me this weekend. Today we have a Ukrainian preschool at our church that runs Monday through Friday for two to five-year-olds. They're expanding this fall and using even more of our space, which is great. One refugee at the beginning of the war was a Ukrainian pastor who was visiting. He got stuck there. Now that Ukrainian church meets at our house, or meets at our our, in our space, they just had their first convert three months ago. Ain't God good? I mean, as a as someone who tries to vision things before they happen. Yes, we wanted a Czech-speaking church as our third church plant, which was our whole goal for fifteen to seventeen years of ministry. Oh, just kidding. We're gonna have a Ukrainian church now. You got to pivot when the spirit moves. He writes this. It was really amazing to see our church step up, especially after, and this is his words, the COVID pity party we had for two years. We needed something outward oriented. And I just end the sermon with the scriptures. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us learn from our, our fathers and mothers of, the, of, uh, our, of our ancient ancestors, the, those who have followed you in ways that would just be, we, we couldn't make a quick switch to something like that. Teach us the principles and the practices that will help us be more faithful um, to to feasting um, with you and one another. We pray in your name. Amen.